Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. In August, Sarah Lee and I and the kids celebrated nine years here in Butler, Pennsylvania with North Main Street Church of God. Don't clap just yet. Uh, no, I'm not resigning. So I said that at, I did a devotional at Penn Christian Academy this week, and a couple of our teachers there are also members here at North Main Street Church of God. Christine Creeley, and I'm like, hey, uh, we've been here about nine years, and I haven't told our church yet, but we're resigning this week. And she's like, ah! And I'm like, well, I'll just throw that out there, see. Because if it was like, woo, I'd be like, okay, so that's a sign. We should probably, no. We've been here nine years, and um, see how these bunny trails happen? <laughs> Wasn't even going to go there, but we've been here nine years, and this has been, not, not North Maine, I don't know what it is. It's probably a stage of life. It may be the location, uh, you know, not in, here in this region. I don't know. But I've never battled spiritually harder than I have since we moved here. And what? I didn't hear that. Is it Butler? I don't know. And this isn't a diss on Butler. I, I listen. I grew up in a small town called Bergen, Kentucky, and it is, it's got its, you know, shortcomings as well. Every town does. There is no perfect community on the face of the earth, but I don't think it's community or the community. I think it's specifically, I don't know, there's some strongholds in this region. And I, and I say, I don't say that lightly. If you, t if I could stand on this stage a year, uh, uh, nine years ago, I would have been oblivious to this. Spiritual warfare, yes, I knew was a reality. In theory, I'd seen glimpses of it. But I have seen battle after battle in the spiritual realm here that is palpable and tangible in a way that I've never experienced it in my whole ministry. The enemy is on the warpath. When God is on the move or desiring to move, one of the things I know full well is the enemy will ramp up its tactics, his tactics. He will pull out everything against a people or a person to try to steal, kill, and destroy them in ways that are just beyond imagination. The sad reality is we oftentimes chalk those things up to coincidence rather than spiritual warfare and we fight the wrong battle. Do you understand what I'm saying? We start to fight a physical battle oftentimes when we start to feel this oppressiveness rest on us. Or when we start to feel these, the, the real difficult circumstances hitting psychologically, mentally, emotionally, physically, and we think it's a physical battle, but then we go back to Ephesians. If we're really, truly looking for the answers, Ephesians chapter 6, what does Paul say that our fight is against? It's not against the flesh. It's a spiritual battle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It, the spiritual realm plays itself out in the physical. 
What do we tell our kids or what do we do when we come into a difficult situation? Do we deal with the symptoms or do we go to the root of the problem and try to fix the root of the problem? Oftentimes we try to deal with the symptoms. And this is what doctors do, right? Your doctor's trying to figure out a problem with your body and so they will give you these medications to deal with certain symptoms. But that can only deal with the symptoms. It can't deal with the root of the problem, can it? This is not where I was going to go today, by the way. Um, We will get there because this is tied into this. Ladies and gentlemen, you see physical battles day in and day out. How many of you are so wrapped up in turmoil over our political situation? Regardless of what side of the aisle you are on, how many of you are up in knots about that? How many of you are struggling against all of these other types of things you see play out on a day-to-day basis, and there's a sense of hopelessness in each and every one of us, isn't there? I mean, maybe, maybe you're one of the few that don't feel that sense of angst and, you know, this, this oppressiveness. The reality is we live in a world that's bound for destruction at this point. But there's a new heaven and a new earth where our hope should be placed. Yes? And in that reality, as I've been preaching over the past several weeks, is when we live with the heavenly reality that we are citizens of a different kingdom than the kingdoms of this world, then our, not only does our outlook change, but the way we live should also change. When we realize the battles that we're facing are spiritual, then we know the source oftentimes of what those battles are and are able to address it head on. But some of us are fearful of addressing those issues. Why? Because it means we have to face the ugly truth and reality of our own sinfulness. Which brings us to the message today. Reconciliation is the final, final message in this series we've been doing on the bait of Satan. Actually, our series in this arena is called The Cost of Peace. But we've been going through John Bevere's series uh, called The Bait of Satan. And I have seen, and maybe it's just, you know, it's like you've heard me say this. When you buy a new car, you start to see those same cars on the road. Like everybody's buying the same car. No, it was already there. You just have a heightened sense of awareness to it. But when we focus on offenses and difficulties and hangups and those kinds of things, guess what we are presented with on a regular basis? Like, oh my gosh. No, we just scratched the surface of this. It's been there. We're just now becoming... uh, focused on the reality that it is there, these evil and bad things that we need to deal with. But we are masters in the Christian religion of taking the rug and sweeping things under there and, uh, and not really dealing with it. Because in order to deal with those things we swept under the rug, it means we have to face the dirt. <laughs> Am I right? 
I don't like to, you come in, don't come into my house and do a white glove test. And it's not because Sarah Lee and I are unclean people. We are just extremely busy. We have four kids. It's their fault. And so we, we don't want you to come in and do the white glove test. Okay, it's a little ownership on this part. Okay, we're, we're busy. But uh, you know, if you're coming in to look for dirt, you're going to find it. The ones I'm concerned with are the ones that are immaculately swept clean, but there's a bunch of bumps under the rug. You may think you've gotten rid of the dirt, but there's evidence still there. Same thing with forgiveness and reconciliation. You may think you've dealt with something only to realize, no, I just, I kind of dealt with it and just brushed it under the rug so I can make myself feel better temporarily. What is reconciliation? So I looked up the definition today, and it's the same in the Greek as well as in the English, but it's an act of reconciling as when former enemies agree to an amicable truce. Or, number two, it's the state of being reconciled, is when someone becomes resigned to something not desired. That's not what we're talking about today. It's like, oh, well, this is just how it's going to be. And so you become reconciled to it because there's, oh, well, this is just it. And the third definition is the process of making consistent or compatible. Okay, so the first definition, it's an act of reconciling when two enemies come together with an amicable truce. And number three, I think, fits as well, the process of making consistent or compatible. Consistent or compatible. One of the things I hate in life is inconsistency. But one of the things I've learned about life in my 46 years of living is that if there's anything that's true in a broken and fallen world is that there's inconsistency. Am I right? Yes, there is. There's inconsistency because we live in an imperfect, broken, and fallen world. And we become inconsistent as we give in to those tactics. We become more consistent as we surrender ourselves and everything in us to Christ. When we become reconciled with God through Christ, doesn't mean that we are necessarily perfect, but we have been made perfect because he is perfect. When God sees us through the lens of our belief and faith in Christ, he sees a perfect child of God. Paul says, or excuse me, Peter says, you should be perfect as your heavenly father. You should be holy as your heavenly father is holy. And again, we talk about what does holy mean. Holy doesn't mean perfect. Holy means set apart. It's hard to be set apart from this world. It's hard to be set apart from the things of this world or to allow God to define who we are rather than the things of this world to define who we are. So there's a book called... Uh, Reconciling All Things, A Christian Vision for Justice, Peace, and Healing. And don't get off on a tangent that this is one of those social justice books, okay? Because I know some of you are like, oh, it says justice in it, and that's a buzzword today. So don't go off on a tangent here. Stay with me. But in this book, written by Emmanuel uh, Katongal and Chris Rice, they, ch they share this true story of um, a guy by the name of Billy Moore 
who would end up finding Jesus in prison and ultimately find his victim's parents to be his greatest advocate. He had killed this young man. Listen to what they write. When Billy, when Billy Moore was in jail awaiting the trial in which he would be sentenced to death, a minister shared with him the good news that Jesus loved him and wanted to forgive his sins. Moore learned that no one is beyond redemption. From prison, he wrote to his victim's family and he asked for their forgiveness. And astoundingly, they immediately wrote back to say that they also were Christians and that they did indeed forgive him. Then the family decided to petition the Georgia Parole Board to commute Moore's sentence. And in 1991, Moore was paroled from prison. He was transformed by the grace of God and his victim's family members. When he was released, he says, they embraced me like a brother. He's been preaching the gospel of forgiveness to school children and church groups ever since. I'm reminded several years ago, out close toward the middle part of the state of Pennsylvania, there was a shooting at an Amish school. Do you remember? It was on the national news at the time. The very next day, and though it's not known very well, because the news doesn't like to highlight these kinds of things on a regular basis, the victims, moms and dads, and grandparents, the Amish men and women who had lost a loved one, went to the house of the parents of the one who shot their children and took them food. Because not only did they lose a child, the one who took their own children, their family lost a child as well. And I know some of you are probably thinking, I, there's... I, I'm trying to fathom that. I'm trying to process that. How, how, can I, how can I do that? This family, their son just killed my son or daughter. How do you overcome that to take yourself out of your own situational hurt and place yourself into somebody else's? See, this is an act of reconciliation without even saying a word. See, Jesus did the same thing. God sent his son into the world that through his death on the cross, that those who would believe in him would be saved, would have eternal life. That is the greatest, not just gift of forgiveness, but the greatest gift of reconciliation. But we, in order to be saved, must be reconciled to God through Christ. And God doesn't force that on us. He opens the door. He provides the way into that throne room called grace. And he gives us forgiveness through his son. But on our part, in order to be reconciled, we must accept that gift of forgiveness and step into that grace. And the only way you can do that is not with your head held high in arrogance and pride, but to bow low before your heavenly Father in confession and repentance of your own sin. 
No proud person has ever entered that throne room of grace. The doorway is three feet tall. You have to duck to get into it. But there is a way made. Now that I say that, it's, there's nowhere in scripture that it's three feet tall. But do you get where I'm coming from? You can enter with confidence, but not with arrogance, not with pride. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 6, chapter, or chapter 6, verse 2. Paul gives us this really amazing picture of reconciliation. I love this. This is not a part of the John Bevere study at all, but I was trying to really come up with and pray through, God, what is the best picture of reconciliation? And how would you, how would you want this message to be, to be preached? And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 16. You need to read the whole chapter. Suffice it to say, um, Paul is talking about heavenly bodies and being changed and transformed prior to this. And then he talks about how in Christ, we become these new creations in this passage I'm going to read to you. So verse 16, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. That should make you stop for a minute. What would happen if truly that were the case? I'm not saying in the world. Let's not think that grand just yet. What would happen if in the church, God's people stopped evaluating others from a human point of view? What would a church look like necessarily where God's people stopped evaluating others from a human point of view? Just ponder that for a minute. I'm going to read on. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. And that's true. Think of, the, think of who Paul is, where he came from, what role did he play within society as a Pharisee, and his group and his circles of people, how did they think of Jesus before Acts chapter 9, when Paul met Jesus, the risen Lord, on the road to Damascus. He only saw Jesus from a human point of view, some other make-believe Messiah. He says, we used to think of Christ merely from that human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God. Do you catch what he's saying? It is a gift. It is not an expectation, though there are expectations tied to it. It's not a command. It's not a forceful thing. It is a gift. When you offer somebody a gift, what do they have to do? I'm hearing a lot of, which I'm thinking is receive it. Yes? When someone offers you, you a gift, you have a choice. You can reject that gift and leave it unopened, or you can take it, receive it, and open it. Once we open it, we start the process of thinking. Is this a gift I really want, or do I want to re-gift it? Am I correct? 
So even when we take it on the surface level, we want to do the cordial thing so that nobody else will get offended by us and we decide, oh, do I really want to go? There are Christians like this. There are people like this. They put on a good show. It's about reputation. They've got the unopened gift. Well, they, they've torn the wrapping paper off, but there it is. Yeah, I, I, I received it. But you didn't apply it and use it. Do you see the steps in the process? There are a lot of people, we, we joke about rhinos and dinos, right? Democrats in name only, Republicans in name only. We have a lot of chinos. That sounds politically incorrect, but I'm thinking of Christians in name only. Sinos? That's like a sinus infection. <laughs> Anywho, do you catch where I'm coming from? Do you smell what I'm laying out? Are you asleep? <laughs> we have a lot of Christians in name only that have taken the wrapping paper off in the bow. They've thrown that away and they haven't regifted it. They still have it, but they don't know what to do with it. You got to take it out of the box. You got to put it in use. It is a free gift from God who bought us back, who brought, brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God, listen to this, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So what did Jesus do? What did God through Christ do? He dealt once and for all with the problem of sin in this world. I mentioned this this morning to one of our teachers, Sarah DeFrisha, that God poured out his wrath on Jesus. Would you think of that for a minute? God took every ounce of his anger and he just doused it on Jesus while he hung on the cross. Lest we forget that that was God's only son in whom he was well pleased. In him there was no sin, there was zero imperfection. See, this is where the paradox of the gospel gets hung up in people's minds. It's because they cannot conceive of a God who would do such a thing. This is why we call it good news. It's because he took the wrath that was supposed to be on us. We were the sinners. We are the ones who cannot stand before God perfectly. How did God reconcile the world to himself? Through the act of Christ on the cross and through the resurrection. See, there was judgment in the Old Testament. God would pour out his judgment time and time again on God's people, or on, uh, yeah, on his own people and on the world. There's a final judgment coming someday, ladies and gentlemen. 
or the goats will be separated from the sheep, the wheat from the chaff. But in the meantime, God patiently waits, knowing that there are still many who are coming to salvation through his son, Jesus. But that wrath was satisfied on Jesus. See, this is the gift that's offered. See, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. But you cannot be reconciled with somebody who is not willing to be reconciled to you. Do you understand? Reconciliation takes two, forgiveness takes one. Think of that for a minute. Forgiveness takes one. I can forgive you even if you aren't willing to receive my forgiveness. Okay? That means I let you off the hook for the burden of what you've done to me. Doesn't mean what you've done was right, or it doesn't mean what you've done was okay. But it means I'm no longer going to hold that against you. But in order to be reconciled, the forgiveness should be received. Do you understand that? So this is why in the passages we've talked about, if someone sins against you, what do you do? You go to them. Right? You point out the offense. And if your brother or sister understands that what they've done has hurt you, and they say, oh my goodness, I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me? Of course I forgive you. Then you've been reconciled. You've won a brother over. Matthew chapter 18, remember we talked about that last week? We talked about that in Luke's gospel when we started this series. In order to be reconciled, it takes two. But Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 that regardless of whether or not the person is willing to reconcile with you, what are we to do? As much as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. It's not as much as it depends on them. Do you see how God is modeling that through Christ? Do you see how God, through Christ, reconciled the world to himself? That as much as it depended on Jesus, he was going to live at peace with us. God's wrath was dumped out on Jesus so that we would not have to incur that kind of wrath. Well, Brandon, what about those who were unrepentant and, and continue to live in their sin and they die and they die in their sin? There is a final judgment, as I just mentioned. God loves you enough to still allow you the opportunity to choose him or reject him. It's not his desire that you would reject his offering of forgiveness. He wants to be reconciled to you, but he knows he cannot force you to be reconciled with him. It takes your willingness to admit that you're wrong. To admit that you've done something that has separated you from him. And I think it's interesting, God still gives us time to be reconciled to him. We call it tarrying. I remember growing up, while the Lord tarries, right? I mean, that's not a guy's name. I mean, it is a guy's name, 
but uh, he's, he's waiting. He, he, you know, uh, Peter, and actually I'm jumping ahead, but Peter gets to this in a moment, and we talked about this not too long ago, that God is patiently waiting. He hasn't forgotten. Okay, let me, let me continue on with this. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's what? Ambassadors. We'll get to that in a moment. God is making his appeal through us. Okay, so Jesus, the risen Christ, who now has ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father, has entrusted to us what? The ministry of reconciliation. Yes. Very good. I was waiting on pins and needles. He has entrusted to us that ministry. So when I hear people give God a bad rap, why isn't he dealing with this? And why isn't he doing that? Body of Christ, hands and feet of God. Christ is the head. And if we are following what the head is communicating to the body, what should it be doing? Ha! Ah, reconciling the world to God. Well, why is this bad thing happening? And why is that bad thing happening? And why isn't God doing this? And why isn't God doing that? And I look at people sitting like bumps on a log, like couch potato Christians. Stuffing their face with Jesus and then complaining that he's not serving them better. Do, do you, do you am, am I, is this thing on? Well, if Jesus was real, then he would, and if God truly loved me, then he would get off your duff. That's the Christian way to say it. Get up, get moving. Quit making excuses for why you can't do something. The reality is we have been entrusted with this ministry called reconciliation. And this ministry of reconciliation is, yes, being a conduit of God's grace to reconcile people to him, but we cannot reconcile people to God unless we first are reconciled to God, and secondly, unless we are reconciled with them. Do you catch how this works? If I'm not reconciled with somebody else, how am I going to be a conduit of grace for them to God? Now again, you cannot be reconciled to somebody who doesn't want to be reconciled to you. And it may be on somebody else in the body of Christ to reconcile them to God. Then hopefully after that happens, they would become reconciled to you. Because as believers in Christ, we are to be open to reconciliation with everyone. No matter what they've done to us, what they've said, how far they've gone off this so-called path. This is the hard, rubber-meets-the-road reality of Christianity. And I see too many Christians cursing those made in the image of God. 
James talks about that with, with the tongue. We, we go and we worship our Lord. Thank, bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship his holy name. And then what do we do? Joe Biden is a putz. <laughs> Donald Trump is a jerk. Now we may not, because... You know, we don't have personal relationship with them. It's easy to attack somebody you don't have a personal relationship with. But what about those we do have a personal relationship with, and we have these levels of expectations on them that when they don't meet it, then maybe we won't say it out loud, but we hold something against them in our hearts. The reality is, ladies and gentlemen, We've not done so great as a church. And I'm not just talking about North Maine. I'm talking about the universal church of God across the globe. Actually, there are some places that do it amazingly well. The, the, the truth of the matter is it's those that are typically in persecuted countries that are forced underground and really are ministering the gospel of reconciliation for fear of their own life. We have no excuse. We have no excuse. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So think of this, Jesus, the only perfect person who has never sinned, he became sin, the embodiment. I want you to, because I've, I've really chewed on this for, for decades at this point. He, how is it that this one verse, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become, how was that even possible? He became, he became the embodiment of sin, having never sinned himself. We, we reference this in church as Christ took all of the sin of the world upon himself. That's one way to look at it. But Paul says he became sin. We are told that as he hung on the cross and as the sky drew dark and as the earth quaked, we are told that God turned his back on him. Um, some of you have experienced the physical hurt of having a family member turn their back on you, disown you, reject you. So you might have a little glimpse of the hurt that Jesus went through, but can you imagine the God of all creation? You, you say, well, he has turned us. No, 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 no. <laughs> You've never experienced what Jesus, Jesus experienced. You may have experienced hurt, that goes beyond the pale, that has ripped you wide open and left you for dead. 
but you can never say you've experienced what Jesus has. And I'm not talking about the nail spikes in his hands. I'm not talking about the wound in his side. I'm not talking about the the flesh that was ripped from his body. I'm not talking about any of the physical pain. I'm talking about the rejection from God who then turned his back on Jesus. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You talk about the utter aloneness of hell. Jesus experienced hell for us. One of the creeds mentions he descended into hell and on the third day rose again. Now we aren't told that biblically, but in order to deal with the problem of sin, he had to suffer the curse of sin. And what is the curse of sin? Damnation and hell. See, we take this way too lightly in the church. We've heard all the songs. We've heard the famous scriptures. We can sing, we can sing and we can quote till we're blue in the face. But unless you're willing to live it out... It has no substance or meaning. It has to be lived out. It's not us going and cursing those who are not living for Christ. It's about us going and loving those who are far from God. Do you understand? Well, we have to draw a line in the sand. Yes, sin is sin and it will separate you from God. But it doesn't mean that you hold back that great. We are to go as ministers with this call of reconciliation to reconcile them to God. Come back to God. Well, what if they reject us? What if they call us homophobes? Or what if they call us haters or xenophobes or whatever other phobophobe is out there today? What if they call us all the, so what? Do you know what they call Jesus? Do you know how they treated Jesus? Do you know the end result of Jesus? Then are you willing to take up your cross and follow after him? If you want to be his follower, he says, Luke chapter 9, what do you do? See, we we, we say that, but do we live it? Chapter 6, verse 1. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of kindness and then ignore it. That's what we've been talking about. Don't accept, don't accept this gift of kindness from God, this reconciliation with him through Christ, and then ignore it. Church, for God says, at just the right time I heard you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. The day, this is today, excuse me, today is the day of what? When is it? Tomorrow? Yesterday. Today! Guess what tomorrow will be when you wake up? Right. And is it the day of salvation when you get there? Yep. What about the day after? When you wake up? It's going to be called today, and what day is that? All right. Here's the point. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Real quickly, 
we've got a burn barrel up here, and I'm going to do this in just a moment. We've been building to this point. It's all been about reconciliation. Forgiveness is about reconciliation with God and with others. We, we purchased flash paper, magician's flash paper. It's actually really fun. It's a process to dry it out. Ask me sometime, I'll tell you about it. Because they pack it wet, because it's so flammable. Not to scare you, but we are going to do a burning of the offenses in a moment. And as much as it depends on you, I need you to understand you need to live at peace with others. And you cannot live at peace with others unless you have forgiveness in your heart toward everyone. We've been, I don't know how much clearer to say this. Last week, we read in Matthew 18, unless you forgive others their offenses, the heavenly, your heavenly Father will not forgive you your offenses. I don't know how much more seriously we can take this. The only thing that would be holding you back is pride at this point. And I know that sounds hard to hear, but it's truth. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come up. We'll have somebody help set tables up. And I want you to write the offenses or your offender on these sheets of paper. You don't have to. But there's something interesting about this paper that I honestly didn't know until we got it. And I think it's a God thing, honestly. Is it leaves no ashes and it makes no smoke. It's fun because I've done like five sheets of it already. Because <laughs> I wanted to make sure I knew what you guys were going to be doing. And I wanted to make sure it was going to be safe for you. But when you light it, it does burn fast. But there's zero smoke and there's nothing left. Amen. Not even the ash of this paper is left. And this may be a first step in the direction of healing for you. See, I find many of us are controlled by past hurts, and we carry those on into future relationships. And until those things are dealt with, the future relationships are a mess. We only have a semblance of health in a relationship unless we've dealt with the problems of the past. And most of the problems of the past that we have are unforgiveness toward the hurts that others have caused us. And maybe some of you might need to write down on that paper, God because you've superimposed that he has hurt you because he hasn't done X, Y, or Z. Maybe you need to forgive God, even though God needs to be forgiven of nothing because he is perfect, but maybe you've held out anger toward him and you need to let him off the hook and let him be God in your life. I mean, I don't know where you are, what's going on in your life, Another opportunity as we provide every week here for healing, for hope, and life transformation. In order to do this, you have to stop evaluating others from a human point of view, real quickly. Stop evaluating others from a human point of view, whether it's looks or appearance, whether it's gender, whether it's race or ethnicity, socioeconomic status, employment or vocational status, personality or temperament, hobbies or extracurricular activities. When Christ looks at someone made in his image, what does he see? He sees 
maybe a distorted reflection of himself because the image in them is broken and desires to see them as restored images of himself through Christ, but he sees somebody through the lens of love and grace. Not condemnation, not anger, not wrath, because who did he pour his wrath on? Jesus. So when he looks at you, he looks at you with the lens of love and desire and hope that you too will come to know him the way he knows you. So we stop evaluating others from a human point of view, just as Paul and the people during his day evaluated Christ through a human point of view. And people still do that today. The second thing is we need to remember we are Christ's ambassadors to the world. What is an ambassador? They are a representative. When that ambassador goes to that country, who are they representing? They are representing the country they are going for, specifically the head of state, the president of the United States. And when that ambassador speaks, they speak as if they were the president in that country. We are ambassadors of Christ. When we come to Christ in full submission to him, forgetting our sin, leaving that behind, and submitting our whole lives to Christ, we become ambassadors of Christ. What good is an ambassador if they stay tucked away in their home? (laughs) Right? If an ambassador to India stayed in West Virginia, where they're originally from, what good would they be? No good. They go to the embassy in that country, and they live as one of the people there advocating on behalf of the United States. They also are peacemakers. That's a nice biblical term. When there are tensions between two countries where our U.S. Embassy is, the ambassador helps to kind of smooth over some of the tension. Do you see how this translates into God's kingdom? Some people are volatile and angry at even the words of God or the mention of God. As God's ambassadors, we are peacemakers to the world. And what do we inherit? Eternal life. At least that's what the Beatitudes tells us in Jesus' words. You are a representative wherever you go. How are you representing Christ? I'm asking you personally. Thirdly, remember today is the day of salvation. It has been the day of salvation since Jesus rose from the grave. Let me read you Peter's um, passage of scripture on this specific point here. We live in a day of salvation. We don't live in a day of wrath or judgment, though bad things still happen because of sin in this world. We live in a day of salvation. And Peter says, in the end times, toward the end, and we still live in the end times, he said, I want to remind you, 2 Peter chapter 3, that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. Is that happening? A little bit. Verse 4, then they will say, What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? 
I mean, that was 2,000 years ago. You remember that? Two millennium. Two millennia. So Jesus is coming, right? Hmm. From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. So your Jesus is coming back? Yeah. I'll believe it when I see it. Oh, you will. (laughs) Um, Verse 5. They deliberately forgot or forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. Genesis chapter 6. And then by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. Who are ungodly people? People that don't believe in Christ, who have not surrendered their lives to Christ. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like today. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. He is coming again. As some people might think, though he is being patient for your sake, he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Do you hear this? So it's God's mercy that withholds the final judgment. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives we should live because what is holy and godly is purified by fire and not destroyed by it. Do you see what he's saying? What holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. It's like, oh, Lord Jesus, come. I mean, have you ever prayed that? <laughs> As I'm getting older, I'm praying that more, right? Because you don't like the body to get achy and all that. Oh, Lord Jesus, come. Hurry it along. Pray it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember... Our Lord's patience gives people the time to be saved. Let me close with this, and then we're going to get into the burn barrel. This sounds kind of funny. (laughs) Ernest Hemingway. Are you familiar with Ernest Hemingway? Kind of a crass man, but a really good author. Um, He grasps some of the difficulty that characterizes this this desire that all of us have for forgiveness and reconciliation. In a short story, he entitled The Capital of the World. The story revolves around uh, a father and his teenage son, Paco, set in Spain. Paco is an extremely common name in Spain and in some of our Hispanic uh, territories south of us in the United States. 
So with desires to become a matador and escape his father's control, Paco runs away to the capital city of Madrid. His father is desperate to be reconciled with him. They had this huge fight the way many fathers and sons often do over future desires and those kind of things. The father didn't want him to become a matador. But he chased after his son to Madrid. And he put out, he put out an ad in the local paper in Madrid that read like this. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Hemingway writes, the next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, there were 800 Pacos, all seeking forgiveness and reconciliation with their father. Reconciliation is the burden of the message of Jesus' ministry. And we all stand in need of it. And truly, if we're being honest, we all need it. But as much as we need it, we need to extend it to others. I don't, again, I I can't say as I know where you are, what's going on. I'm going to have our team, and I don't know who that team is, but I need you to set up our tables. So if you want to pray at the altars, you can do that. But it's a more tangible expression of dealing with the hurts, the offenders of your life. The things that have held you or held sway over you for years. It's time to begin the step of healing and letting those things go. Allowing God to do a healing work in you through the power of the Holy Spirit to reconcile you to him so that there is nothing between you and him. And secondly, so that you can begin the process of reconciling others to God. I will be the first to write, so give me one of those nice papers. Believe it or not, your pastor does have things that he needs to let go of. As Paul said, he hadn't even attained it yet. We don't know exactly what that was, but he hadn't attained this perfection that he felt like he could have in Christ Jesus Yes, he knew he was saved and set free by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He even mentioned in Corinthians, to the, his letter to the Corinthian church, that the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I know I need to do, I don't do. What a miserable wretch I am. I'm thankful for a God that looks upon the heart and not the outward appearance of mankind. And is able to bring healing, first and foremost, to this. So that we can be set free. So as you write down what it is you need to let people go from. Maybe you write down a name. Maybe you need to write down an offense that has held sway over you. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you just need to write down the initials of an individual that you've held against them this thing, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. But you do. And God does. And God knows that you can't be all that he created you to be until that's let go.
I'm still writing. <laughs> if you need a tablet, if somebody asked me for a tablet of paper this morning. And what you do is when you've written down and you've prayed, Lord, I want you to pray this prayer. A pastor friend of mine by the name of Jeff Harris in the community uh, taught me this some years ago. It is a great short prayer that's biblical and begins the process, and you need to speak it out loud. <laughs> Lord, I forgive, fill in the blank. I ask that you would forgive them, and I pray that you would bless them more than you bless me. And then you let it go. There's going to be music playing on the screen. And as the music plays, as you feel led, come and write down the offenses or the offenders. And even if you just whisper it, pray that prayer over those on that sheet of paper, whether you need to at the altar or wherever. And then when you feel comfortable, come and let it go. If you don't feel comfortable putting it on there yourself, I'll stand here and I'll help you. Okay? Let me pray over you. Father, I know each week you desire to bring reconciliation. Each week you desire to pour out your holy presence upon this place. Each week your desire is to bring people to a place of health, wholeness, and healing. God, you desire to deliver us from all the hurts, habits, hang-ups, all the different things that we hold unforgiveness toward and people. Father, we repent of those things that we've harbored against others and against you. God, heal us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.